0: Hi, I'm Ernest White II, one of the writers and executive producers of the Dead Man's Curse podcast. Over the past 12 episodes, we've investigated Slumak's story to find out if he was actually the homicidal madman newspapers made him out to be, or was it something else? We dug deep into Slumak's life, and the curse, and guiding us along the way was Crew Williams, He was often joined by the rest of the Dead Man's Curse team, along with experts and members of the Caetzee and Stolo First Nations, to sort fact from fiction and give Slumak a voice from the other side of the veil. Today, I'm taking over hosting duties to allow Crew to share his personal insights on what it was like contributing to the podcast, filming the TV series, and diving into the legend and the curse of Slumak and his lost gold. This is Dead Man's Curse, Slumox Gold. So, Crew, how'd you get interested in Slumox's story? What, what drew you to it? <sighs> you want to go way back, eh?
1: It all started in my grandma's backyard on my uncle's sawmill. You know, just being a BC boy, cutting wood, stacking it for the uncle. Wasting time talking about stories. And uh, somehow or another, we came on cursed gold, slumox. And uh, he literally said, you know, there's a mind out there. A lot of people try to find it, none have. And so I said right then and there, like, oh, I'm going to get out there and find it. And uh, that's where it all began. Just an obsession of this lost gold, the challenge of my uncle, and the the stereotypes. They, like, literally right out of the gate was the stereotypes of how First Nations are. And I knew it not to be true. And that's why I put in that time. I put in that effort. I moved to the pit itself. I lived right on Pit River. Uh, Moved over to Harrison. Lived right on Harrison River. So it's like, whether I knew it or not, my entire life was molding around this legend. And it was just a seed planted by my uncle. So yeah, that's how I got started on this whole Slumont Gold.
0: In light of that, how do you feel like your perspective has changed now that you've spent so much time on Slumac's life, uh, as well as the curse and his search for and your search for his gold?
1: Well, I mean, now it's not just a legend. It's real. Part of it. We're part of it. We're actually doing it. We've done more in modern time prospecting and proving this legend to be true than anyone has ever done before. And that's, I mean, number one, the team is freaking awesome. But it's just that we have been gifted to be born in the right timeline. And with all the technology from satellite GPS, from helicopter trips to metal detectors, we have the ability to prove if this is a legend, lore, or reality. And with the team that we have working with us, I mean, my God, like you've got cold case detectives, scanning out every piece of information possible taylor going to archives for the province for the freaking country to actually find the documents that were written in the days that he was hung like you can't get better evidence than that but then coming across all of these prospectors who tried to do what we're doing and seeing where they failed or went wrong and learning from that compiling it all taking their information, families' legacies passed down to us to try to help us. I mean, there's nobody else who's been gifted this much information and has the ability to prove it to be true or not. So for me, I'm just lucky to be part of the team, to be part of the legend. But if anybody's going to have a chance to actually figure this out and find the gold, I think it's us.
0: It seems like you've considered um, just the different ramifications of even finding the gold for your own family. Is that correct?
1: Well, you know, it all started for, God, I mean, just be real greed, gold, money, wealth, like, come on now. That's what motivates the societies. But once you step foot into the pit, everything changes. Like you start valuing your life, and putting a monetary number on it. Like, at what point do I value living more than I value finding gold? Because, like, there's so many things that can take you out out there. And it's like, every day's a fight, but you don't know who the opponent is, and you don't know when they're going to show up and attack. So you're just constantly on the ready. Like, it takes time off of your life just being out there.
0: You talk about your own experience searching for the gold being on the mountain uh you mentioned it on the podcast that you've experienced something unexplainable have you felt anything since
1: i've been trying not to feel things since i mean like (laughs) uh, it was not a comfortable pleasant experience you know like it wasn't like it was bad torturous or evil but it's not like an everyday thing that you wanna wake up to or go through, you know, like it was really real. When I came back, I was just trying to figure out what the hell happened to me. You start Googling and then it gets huge. Like we're talking about expeditions all over the world going missing, expeditions going crazy, people killing and eating each other on the freaking mountains. Like I had no idea this stuff went down in the high places. And then you start doing your research and you start finding about past civilizations and religions and all these things. So I just got caught up into something I wasn't ready for. I was not prepared for. And once it happened, there was no stopping it. There was just identifying what it was and trying to push through it mentally. Thank God for Don, because like this is what his culture deals with and has dealt with for millennia. So for me, it started off with gold, but then it just came down to Survival to understand a reality that I do not understand and to try to move past that and stay on point for the mission while oh, reimagining a life you didn't know existed and being caught up in it. So, yeah, part of me was honored, you know, part of me was terrified. But the whole of me wasn't saying, yeah, let's go out there and try to find this. But every expedition after that, you feel different in the land. You feel a lot more connected with it. You feel presence every place that we go. Because we don't go to normal places. We're not going to, you know, beaches and parks or camping sites. We're going... To places where people would dream about going to their entire life where hardened mountaineers some don't reach these places we've got the tech choppers we can get in but then we still got to deal with the land and the surroundings and the environment so it gives you enough to focus on besides supernatural because everything else is so real that every step you take you're in that moment i've never been more alive in my life you know it's it's so much more intense than any sport I've ever played. And to be out there actually looking for gold in the process through all these environmental challenges, through the wildlife, you throw Supernatural in on top of it? I mean, (laughs) come on. Come on. Like, you got to pick one lane and roll with it. And mine was the gold. So I pushed through it, (sighs) but it has forever changed me and the way I look at things and the things that I believe. So (laughs) I guess you could say it was a blessing and a curse.
0: What would be some of the things that you've learned?
1: Oh boy, you don't just walk in the woods. You're guided through them. If you try to fight them, They'll push you in places, you'll gas yourself out, you'll break yourself. Once you just conform with the land, you use the animals' trails, you see the paths that you know trappers or trade routes have taken, you start learning about landmarks, you start to view the woods more comfortably than the city. Like there's actually more things to predict in the woods than in the city, because humanity is crazy. The woods are natural. So for me, it was just uh, the ability to feel more comfortable in the land, to know like what else more can happen. <laughs> I mean, we've been there, done that, had this happen. It's like now I just I just feel more comfortable. And the the teachings from Dawn and the First Nations, their their reasons for doing things, they all make sense when you're out there. Like when you're not on an ATV, you understand that. You don't go far from water. (laughs) You don't take the hardest routes. You don't just climb down in glaciers just to climb down in them. But my buddy Adam does, but I mean, he's on his own mission for volcanic, you know? So for me, it was just learning to become more comfortable in the land through the teachings of the First Nations
0: and my experiences up on the mountains. Then do you think this kind of multi-dimensional experience uh, has given you lessons for, for life that you can actually, you know, instill in your day-to-day living when you're not on a mountain, when you're not out there you know, on a glacier or searching for the gold, but when you're just, you know, engaging with your, your family, your friends, your community, yourself.
1: I think the most powerful thing that I've learned through all of this is contentment without control. And after being a mixed martial arts coach for so long, I mean, I mean, you get people bowing to you in respect, you control the class, you control the training, the camps, you do your best to control the fights, but that's the one place where you have to let go and let the training happen. So for me, I look at it like a fight. This was my fight camps everyone built something everyone almost broke something but you keep fighting and getting better and leveling up now i take that knowledge back with me in the day-to-day i'm sitting in a ferry line for four hours straight on the tarmac i'm 35 at least i'm not on top of a mountain on a boulder field with loose boulders falling at my head so i'm okay i'm with my loved ones you know it's like you learn the value the things that really truly matter because you don't know if you ever get to value them again. So it's like once that's been removed from you again and again and again, you learn to cherish these moments because it might be the last ones of a lifetime. So, yeah. A couple of
0: powerful things there. Contentment. Contentment without control. I had to write that down. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, but I'm still trying to get
1: through it. (laughs) I'm going to let you know it ain't easy, especially when it's forced upon you. But I think that's when change happens the most is when you're not planning for it. You just have to deal with it. And then you pick left or right. Are you going to cry about it or are you going to be about it? And for me, it's like there's only one direction. That's forward. So I'm thankful.
0: So, you know, the story is really gripping and, and tragic and emotional, did you find yourself feeling overwhelmed at times in sharing Slumok's story? I didn't feel overwhelmed.
1: I felt overfamiliarized. I think that's the part that really got me with Slumok's story, is that it was a story of stereotypes, of racism. So as you know, I am of uh, how do you say this politically correct, biracial creation? I don't even know what to say anymore, but I know that it's a sensitive topic for a lot of people in the day that we're in now, but it also was back then, and that's where it actually started from. And when you look back then compared to now, we do have progress. Our country has grown phenomenally. Not perfectly, but it has grown. It has moved. I mean, the fact we are talking right now in a podcast about this shows that. So for me, it wasn't being overwhelmed. It was more embracing the opportunity to share a story that has been hidden in time, dragged through mud, and thrown in a back room somewhere. And to dig it up, to start laying out these puzzle pieces and seeing why why would one man be treated like this why would he be defamed like this well i mean look at the world we're in today like if you don't like somebody you start spreading some rumors about them and then that gets out and then the next thing you know it's snowballed before it's even proven so you've justified your actions that you do to that person going forward But I mean, their actions were so bad that they made him seem like he was a young, crazy, woman-killing, murdering, wild native. Come to find out he was an 84-year-old man. I mean, like you couldn't get further away from the truth. So why, why? And I felt not to be overwhelmed, but more on a quest and a mission to be able to prove, not this man's innocence, but the fact that there was more than we were told that the story was bigger than just gold, that it actually relayed to the things that were wrong with colonization, the effects that it had on peoples in their own nation, and their own territory, and the fact that nobody even gave a damn. You know what I mean? So that's what all prospectors did. It's just now with TV, we wanna talk about things, you know? So this picture is so big, And so relatable to the modern times that we're in and why things kind of are the way they are in our neck of the woods, that it's a story that needed to be told. It was a story that the KC need people to hear, to understand why they're going through their challenges right now. It isn't like, oh, we just get checks from the government. It's like, no, man, we were moved out of our house. We were thrown here in a bog forget your stupid checks, give us our land, give us our respect back. And for me to be able to be a part of something that shed light on something for a people's other than myself meant something, meant a lot to me. And I really just hope that people can get past their hatred of the other team You know, and not just, you know, it's not here to shame people. It's not here to hurt people, but it's here to teach people that we can be better. And if it takes the story of an old man with everything against him, doing things that weren't right either, but the way the whole picture was treated and the overwhelm, injustice and everything that happened, we can be better. And I mean, I swear to God, I hope if that's one thing that one person gets out of all of this is that we can just be better then
0: we all win. Well, listen, I think you you, you raise an important Mm -hmm. question. What about us? What are we doing to be better than we were yesterday? Uh, And I think stories like this allow us to look back and see what's been done from whence we've come, how far we've come and how much Mm -hmm. remains uh, for us to travel. And it's not simply, you know, when it comes to, to these kinds of stories and uh, colonial exploitation, but it's also just how we engage with our neighbor, how we engage with the person across the street that we don't know. Uh, you know, just how are we being with mm-hmm. others? How are we being with ourselves? Well put. So, Crew, now that you have done both a TV show and a podcast, what made the podcast so different from the television series for you?
1: Oh, on the show, you're just trying to stay alive. You ain't got time to think. You don't have time to complain. It's either the weather, the terrain. I, I, I know I keep saying the animals, but man, you just don't understand how many
0: animals are out
1: there. It's like everything is trying to eat everything that you've got and you at the same time. So, yeah, my mind is focused on me, you know. With this podcast, the only thing I can focus on is Slumok is facts is history. And it's like, I I knew that it was like a mysterious death and all these things and was all this stuff behind it. But it's like, if you can't be there, how are you going to prove anything? But the team on this podcast and on the show and with Taylor have compiled so much information. It's like he died yesterday. You know, I mean, you want to talk about a cold case, this ain't even an old case. It's like we have more documentation about the real Slumok than I've ever seen growing up. You know, I was just gold, gold, gold. Yeah, some guy named Slumok had it. You know, I was trying not even to focus on him because I didn't want to focus on a curse. I wanted to focus on the gold. So for me, sitting down in a room and reading all this stuff, I mean, it was heartfelt. It was touching There was a moment that it became so real and overwhelming for me that, I mean, oh, it hurt. There was points and times where it hurt because I could relate, you know? And it's not like I'm out there doing bad things like this, but supposedly anything that I've ever done growing up has been bad, you know? And it's like any opportunity, boom, I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. I'm one of the nicest fricking dudes you'll ever meet, but I don't look that way. And I know Slumuk didn't. So I understand that stereotype. I could only imagine not being able to even speak the language. Like how the hell can you even defend yourself? So I, I, just, I just felt a lot of relatability with Slumuk, And I think the podcast just made that realer than I ever wanted it to. To the point where I felt literally a mission just to be able to not have his name dragged through the mud. Like the man's had enough. He's gone through enough. The least we can do is agree to disagree, you know, and just move on to something better.
0: Mm. That's very impactful crew. So what episode then would have been your favorite? What has uh, resonated most with you? Or if not an entire episode, um, what stood out to you and, and, and why?
1: Well, it's kind of funny because I'm not going to call myself a perfectionist, but I love to do my best. And when you start something like this, this is a craft, okay? Like this ain't just talking on a microphone. There are so much to learn when it comes to podcasting. I definitely uh, underestimated it to say the least, but like the growing process, 12 episodes is no joke, And every single time I came away with so much more knowledge that I was overwhelmed with knowledge. I was overwhelmed with information on how to do this new craft, but I stuck through it, pushed through it, and got better at it. So in my mind, I thought the last episodes were gonna be the best episodes because that's when I felt the most comfortable, blah, blah, blah. But there isn't, it's all the episodes. It's the entire story. It isn't about me and how I sound. It's about letting Slumok's story be told. And, uh, you know, the end, great information, great stuff. I love it. But it's all about the first. It's all about that hook. It's all about that legend that I heard as a kid. And hopefully passing it on good enough for another generation. And hopefully spark something for someone out there like my uncle did for me, that has completely changed my life, my perspective of life, and all the lessons and growths that's happened on this journey with my friend Adam, with Dawn, who's become a father to me, and Taylor, who I am watching grow up like a real little sis and watching her turn into a woman right on camera. Like, it's just endless. It's just endless blessings on blessings on blessings. So,
0: so this is legacy work for you then.
1: Well, I mean, I got a little one in the oven, right? And the way I look at it is I better lead this world better for her. And I didn't think I would need to be doing that. But what better way to start with others? And like I said, if I can spark the next gen, great. Because there ain't nothing better than adventure. <laughs> ain't nothing more fun than looking for treasure. But when you throw in history and actually have a reason for doing something rather than just enriching yourself. ah. <sighs> feels like the greatest journey you could have ever imagined and you get to live it every expedition. So, yeah, whether it's the podcast or the expeditions, just lucky to be here.
0: Well, you know, Slumac's story is not the only fascinating story when it comes to gold in the region and prospecting or even the history. Are there other characters or stories that you'd like to dig into as we move into season two of the podcast?
1: I'm already looking past the Slumac. I'm looking at New Caledonia's history. Like this is the final frontier. I had no idea that the West's gold rush didn't stop. It went right through BC. BC just managed it differently, which protected a lot of it from the Americans coming up. But it also hid a lot of it because it wasn't as exploited as other regions. So for me... Who else in BC has been on the gold? We've got Volcanic Brown, one of the biggest egotistical miners in Canada's history. Like the man had a mouthful of gold, black stallions roll him around everywhere. I mean, I God, if, if he wasn't so pale, I'd call him Shaft. But at the end of the day, he was the one. And where'd he go? Where is he? No one's ever found him. We know his general area. We know he'd almost died out there a couple times. Why? You don't go off in the mountains just to die. You go out there to try, and he was on gold. They found some, but they never found the body. So that's a mystery. You've got Billy (laughs) Miner. Some back in the town even say that that's where Slumont got his gold. Like Billy Miner was BC's Billy the Kid. He was the gentleman robber. Robbed a train, jumped back on it, and robbed the bank. And then jumped on a train that happened to be going by at the exact same time and got away. Like never hurt anybody. One of the most politest (laughs) Canadian bank robbers ever. Then you've got guys like Stuart Brown, who actually soldiered for our country, wanted to help repay the country's debt by finding the gold. Like the stories just lay out one after another after another. And the deeper you look into it, you understand that things were shady back in the day. Like, we just talked about the Lost Lemon Mine not too long ago, and that entire storyline all started from two mining partners actually finding gold and then one killing the other one for it. So, I mean, it was birthed in blood, let alone all the murders that happened with the natives trying to hide the gold and prospectors coming up and looking. So, I mean, this land, it feels like Never Never Land met the wild, wild west And to showcase these stories and the history and the gold and these characters, like, let's just go. Let's do it. Let's tell the history to the best of our abilities with actual documentation to prove that the storyline is real or wrong. And I guarantee you, anybody who comes along for this journey is going to be impressed. We have so much history here. We have... A country that was built on logging and mining, and we don't
0: really talk about it. So let's talk about it. Well, it sounds like you found another treasure aside from gold, and that is storytelling and the stories that go along with it. Well, oh, it's a roadcaster, really, but, you know, <laughs> I don't know if our audience knows what that means. But hey, thank you again, crew. Hey, if you, if know, know, you know, you know, listen, you know. Man, it is an honor, privilege and pleasure to be on this journey with you, my man. Crew Williams, thank you so much for lending your voice, lending your perspective, lending your experience and uh, and just opening your heart to us. Thank you.
1: Well, it means a lot to me, and it is such an honor to be able to be in this position, to be able to tell these stories, to be part of this local legend, the history of it. There's so many prospectors that came before me. There's so many out there that are way better than me. But at the end of the day, it's going to take all of us working together, sharing information in order to get these jobs done. So I am just proud to be a part of it. I appreciate it when anybody reaches out about the podcast, about the show, or even better prospecting. We've had so many families reach out, passing down their grandfather's information. This is how we win, is working together. So I just wanna throw it out there for anybody listening. Feel free to find me on my socials, Instagram, K-R-U underscore Williams. And that's for IG. And then of course, Facebook, barely ever go there, but A space K-R-U space Williams. So definitely reach out. Share your family story, the history that connects with this legend, and you never know, you might be the missing key to actually cracking this legend open. So thank you, Ernest, thank you, team, and thank you, everybody else out there. It's been a blast.
0: Thank you so much, crew, for your time today. And a very special thank you to you, the audience. Thank you for joining us on this journey through space and time. And we can't wait to share with you what we're working on for next season. As crew said in our last episode, this journey is far from over. Dead Man's Curse, Slumox Gold is written by me, Ernest White II and Dila Velazquez. Our producers are Jessica Young and Dila Velazquez. Editing and sound design by Rob Johnston and Rosalind Kafour. Our associate producers are Valerie Hold Marchand and Gail Starr. Our indigenous cultural and heritage consultant is Gail Starr. Our executive producers are Chris Duncombe, Ernest White II, Michael Francis, Tim Hardy, and David Way. Dead Man's Curse is a Curious Cast and Great Pacific Media production.